So, David, thank you so much. Welcome to our interview with Men's Health Archive. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you've been a friend of mine for a long time now, and your brother was one of my best friends in life. Um, his story was absolutely instrumental in mine, and so is yours along the way. So why don't you tell us a bit about your story? Um, well, obviously, like, I grew up with Daniel as my brother. He's one of my best friends. and uh, I, mean, I guess I'll start with sort of the whole thing, how I got into the cooking and school and all that, which is <clears throat> something I've not really told that many people about but the last time I ever spoke with my brother uh, he called me about 4:30 in the morning and I was getting up uh, to work at a bakery that I worked at every uh, weekend my senior year of high school and he called me and was just like hey man I got this this idea this uh, this you know you and I we're gonna go into the restaurant business like you love cooking I love business I'll go to business school you go to culinary school and we'll be able to open our own restaurant which I was like oh hell yeah like I'm totally for that like that sounds awesome and so uh you know i started looking into it i was talking to some of my co-workers at the bakery about it and you know, what the process for culinary school was so i said you know what fuck it i'll just apply and so i applied and ended up uh, going to the cia and graduating with uh, an associates in uh, culinary arts and then went back to get the bachelor's in business since daniel wasn't able to do that i mean a week, it was a week after this phone call that he had passed mm-hmm. away so it was sort of kind of like i had never really envisioned going into the culinary industry or being a cook i like mean, i like cooking because i love eating but you know it wasn't something i thought of as a career and so that was really all daniel's idea <clears throat> which i'm so happy with i mean having now finished school and i'm working in dc um at one of jose andres's restaurants and so you know it's definitely was the right path for me, but not something I ever really saw myself getting into. And it's sort of like um, a silver lining of sorts. It's like, obviously, I'd rather have my brother here, but he definitely knew the path that I was meant to go down, and it's worked out great, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. So what was the time of you and Daniel's relationship like before he passed? And I know you guys, you've been best friends since you were 12, 13 growing up. Daniel's always really always took you under his wing is truly one of his best friends. Um, and I was also there when he was talking to you about the rough times, but what was your relationship like? Like I remember being in the hospital with you visiting Daniel at a certain point. Um, what was your communication with him during that time? Um, honestly, it was much more uh, limited. I mean, when he was away at mm-hmm. school, we, you know, we kept in touch, but it wasn't the same as, you know, when we were at home. I mean, he had only been in school for a year, so I always kind of figured, all right, you know, he's, he's away at school, but he'll be back right. eventually, and we'll get to camp again. And so when he was hospitalized, <clears throat> it was sort of, I don't know, it was strange, because I remember going to visit him, and he just, like, sat down and, like, cried and hugged me for... 10 minutes straight the entire visit didn't say a word like the the old daniel i knew wasn't really there and after spending <clears throat> time in that you know the psych ward and it was you know it was it was difficult but you know over time it seemed like he was getting better and things were back to normal and we went on vacation and we spent the whole time hanging out together with the family in chincoteague and so you know, I think for me, when he ended up committing suicide, it totally took me by surprise. I had no idea that anything was really that wrong. I figured he was getting better. Things were back on track. He was back at school. Things were going to, you know, work themselves out. 
but it um, it didn't really plan, pan out that way. And uh, so, I mean, I was we were we were still very close. But I think that in a way, he tried to sort of shield me from a lot of these feelings he was having, and didn't feel open about talking to me about it because he never really shared any of these sort of darker, you know more depressive thoughts that he was having. And so that was sort of, I guess, a whole <clears throat> plays in, in a way, I guess, to your whole, you know, uh, nonprofit and that it's all about actually opening up and talking to people and getting, you know, the help you need and being able to not be trapped with your own thoughts. I mean, I wish he had said something, you know, so and opened up in some way and wanted to talk about those things so we could kind of work it out or at least have done, you know, something to help him out. I can but. tell you for a fact that that's kind of true and the fact that as much as we'd have conversations of, oh, David's one of my best friends, but I can't put all this pressure on him. Um, and as well, I know that you had the conversation later with him where it was directed back towards me. It was, David, I put all this stuff on Sam and I can't keep turning to him. But that was just kind of where we were. And it's a very, um, it's a sad spot to be in to look back and, and know that neither of us, we love each other so much, all three of us. Um, and it's just that, that little extra push of saying, it's okay. This is the relationship. We need the help, you know? Yeah. And that's totally true. I mean, <clears throat> people don't feel comfortable opening up enough and actually talking about the things that they're going through. And that's something for me, I guess, the whole, I mean, everyone grieves differently, mm-hmm. but I felt that talking to people and actually getting the stuff off, you know, once you've said it and you've gotten it all out, there's not much left to be, you know, stuck thinking about. You've made your point, you've said what you have to say, and you can kind of move forward. And that really helped me a lot, you know, having good friends that I could actually confide in. And, you know, for me, it was easier. as like I had a whole network of people to reach out to and were able to, you know, help me get through losing my brother. But not everyone really has those same opportunities and doesn't really get the opportunity to actually have people to talk to and reach out. I, I want to commend you, though, because during that time, you were you were also a friend first to so many people that were looking for help and so upset about your brother's loss and you were there with open arms saying hey buddy we're gonna get through this you're still my friend let's still talk about this um like what what i've learned from daniel and my relationship is everything that i sort of regret i put it absolutely 100 percent into ours like i try never to not ask you a question or anything left leave anything unturned um but you you did such an incredible job of reaching out to others and not necessarily not going through your own grief because I know that you did in your own time but at the very first instance you were incredibly just supportive and it it really blew my mind how do you feel that like I, I know you had a lot of friends who were around to support you but how do you think that your support for them has returned the favor in time um, well, I mean, I appreciate all those comments and like, I remember like you were telling me the story, like how it was at the actual funeral, like that I was reaching out to other people. And in a way for me, that's something that really helped was that it wasn't just me grieving and me missing my brother. It was all of us, all of his friends, all of my friends, you know, everyone that knew him and it sort of, you know, by being able to help other people through it, it helped me through my own problems and like my own grief and whatnot. And honestly, it's affected sort of the way that I 
go through my life and that I actually try and treat people, you know, it's like, I tend to realize you never know what anyone's going through. So you don't really want to make assumptions and be quick to judge people because they, you know, everyone's got a story. Everyone's going through something. And that's something I really kind of took away from it and have noticed that like when you're always trying to be there for other people and reach out and help that when you need help, that they're right there for you, you know, something that sort of, you build that sort of support network over time and you know you kind of kind of you keep investing in it and eventually it sort of returns the favor and pays off you know it's like i'm always there to help my friends because i care about them but when i need help you know they're there as well how do you think your relationship with your parents has changed at all your parents being two of my favorite people in the world and they were incredibly supportive of daniel like your mom came down to stayed in new orleans for a long time with daniel um and i just want to know how his loss has opened up the relationship with you and your parents and being very honest and open. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we've gotten a lot closer. I think that something like a suicide in the family has the tendencies to sometimes tear a family apart and drive people. But that wasn't, that was something I kind of said from the beginning. I was like, you know, they'd be arguing about something. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're, where, you know, that's what's supposed to happen, but we're not going to let that happen. And we've gotten much closer and more open about everything. It's just, you know, it's feeling free to be able to just discuss how you're feeling or, you know, I think my parents have been very supportive of me and that, you know, they really backed me behind whatever I decided to do, whether it was suddenly being like, I'll be a chef. And I was like, I'm going to go to business school. And I was just like, I'm, you know, I got working on plan, waiting on that visa to potentially move off to Australia. And it's just like, they're fully supportive behind everything. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a nice feeling having that. And you can see the effect when people don't have that, where you start to kind of doubt yourself and you can get down on your thoughts and having that sort of really positive backing from my parents on everything really, you know, helps a lot. I mean, mentally, just like going through doing so many new different things that you didn't, you know, you weren't sure if you could do, you didn't know if you really wanted to do, but having someone fully supporting you the whole time is just a really great you know, thing to have. You have always been one of the most smart and insightful people I've known in my entire life. How does going into a... <laughs> how does going into a kitchen with this knowledge now of the personality and dealing with... Uh, personalities and just people in general and their emotions how has that allowed you to connect with co-workers or bosses or friends um it's honestly helped me a lot in terms of my ability to sort of read into other people and kind of understand what someone's you know it's like uh, they call it like emotional intelligence like being it, you know, being able to read into people's cues and their wants and what they're thinking, and you know how to deal with each person differently based on you know what you picked up from them. And I'd say that it's it's most important, I think, from like a standpoint of management. Like when I was in my last semester of school, uh, we had this senior senior capstone project was op- like designing and opening a. Um, a pop-up restaurant for 15 weeks and or what we did not, I think it was 12 weeks and um, I was the general manager um, that my class elected and there were so many different personalities and like people who were super heated and you know quiet people and those who were just you know hard really hard working and sort of understanding that 
<clears throat> one approach to um, one approach to dealing with people doesn't work for everyone. And that the better you understand other people and can think from their perspectives, the better you can get along with them. And you know, there is definitely bumps along the way and you know disagreements. There's several people in my class who really didn't seem to like like the way I did things, but by the end, I was able to sort of figure them out and come around, and we all got along. And that's a a big you know, display of just like how I guess thinking outside of your own perspective can be really helpful and beneficial. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the mental health within the restaurant industry? Um, it's a pretty interesting topic, I think, honestly, and it's becoming coming more to the light in the last, you know, couple of years. I mean, most recently with the passing of Anthony Bourdain from suicide and, you know, he's someone who really inspired so many people to get into this industry. And, you know, it's someone who seems like, oh, they're on the top of their game. But every couple months you hear a story of another famous chef who's committed suicide. And it all kind of plays into the stress and the sort of lifestyle that's become, you know, main like a mainstay in the industry. And, you know, people going and working long, hard hours, stressful environment getting out, wanting to just drink, going out for the all night and then going, you know, passing out, waking up and doing it again and getting into the cycle. I mean, rates of drug use and, you know, alcoholism in the industry are definitely significantly higher than for the rest of the, uh, you know, general population. So it's sort of an interesting topic, which has gotten more attention recently, but there's not, you know, many people are sort of stuck in their ways about how a kitchen should be run, that it has to be this sort of hostile, you know, environment with lots of, you know, swearing and yelling, throwing pens around, just kind of a ruthless sort of place. And it doesn't have to be that way. And part of that comes back into what I was saying about management before and not just sort of being the dictator, but also being able to work with your people and bring out the best in each of them, you know, whether that takes different methods or, you know, it's more, it's more effort. It's more, um, you know, that you have to do on your part as a manager, but it like, it really is important, I think. And it, you know, part of the huge problem with restaurants is burnout when people not, you know, they go and they work in this environment, they can only do it for so long and then they go off and do something else because they just have to get out of there. And you, there's, some studies that have been done that we, you know, went over in school about different famous chefs. Like uh, one of my favorite um, examples is of uh, Eric Repair, who's the head chef and owner of Bernadette. And uh, they had an 80% annual turnover rate. And he said he ran his kitchen like a tyrant. You know, he'd be screaming and yelling and smashing plates on the ground. Everyone was unhappy. He was unhappy. <clears throat> and then he sort of realized eventually that he was the problem and that he changed his ways completely and started trying to be a much more encouraging and thoughtful leader as opposed to just a, you know, a tyrant in the kitchen. And uh, his turnover rate's down to under 20% annually now, which and as far as Costco, it's, it saves him a ton of money. It saves him a lot of effort, and it just makes a much better restaurant overall. And so it's that comes out of understanding that you know the way that the industry has been going doesn't is, you know, it works, but it works at the cost of the mental health of a lot of the people who, you know, make up that industry. So there definitely needs to be more change and more conversation about it. But having, you know, recently started working again, I've been working down in D.C. at uh, 
the America Eats Tavern, which is Jose Andres's new barbecue, um, Southern American style cuisine. <clears throat> and um, it's it's been a really interesting experience seeing a kitchen that just everyone gets along really well. The head chef is, you know, doesn't just lash out and he's actually, you know, much more of a, a caring leader than you would expect out of, you know, such, you know, major kitchens and seeing that people are just sort of happy to come into work. They enjoy themselves. You know, the restaurant's doing well. Food's great. People are, you know, having a good time. And it's like, I'm excited to go into work each day because it's something that I'm actually, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fun time, even though it can be stressful at times, but like, I enjoy, I enjoy what I actually do and they make the environment a fun place to work. So there's definitely ways of, you know, improving the, the current, I guess, climate of kitchens. And a lot of that's been starting to happen, but it's not, you know, happening as quickly as it needs to. And there's definitely people getting hurt in the process and that's needs to change. As a future restaurant owner, hopefully yourself, do you have any ideas or practices that you would want to implement to help your workers? Um, yeah, I think it would definitely stem from, you know, the management and training them and how, you know, social and um you know social behavioral psychology and stuff of that nature that would sort of help them better understand how to really work with people how people's brains work how they tick you know what makes them feel good what makes them hate their job you know what are the little things that you can do that just make a pretty you know enormous difference and sort of focusing on that from a training perspective that they're you know able to get their jobs done efficiently while also treating the workers better. And I think, uh, you know, a higher standard of living in terms of rate of pay also helps, mm-hmm. you know, when you're busting mm-hmm. your ass off, getting, you know, working in a terrible environment and also getting pretty subpar pay, it's, um, you know, it's, it's an even worse situation. So I think trying to find a way to make the finances balance that you can actually, you know, provide benefits and things like the, the current job I have is the first place I've seen that offers you paid time off for a kitchen position, which just is unheard of. And over time, you accumulate like a month a year of paid time off, which is just, you know, having those breaks as opposed to working five, six days a week for 10 hours, you know, busting your ass in the kitchen definitely can be very helpful to kind of get that time off to sort of have a mental health day if you need your it. hours that you've always worked have always astounded me as well whether it's at the bakery going in at sometimes 4 a.m um how do you think that the industry and sleep in particular has affected your mental health um i think you're left with like a choice oftentimes which is do i want to go out and live my life and do things or do i want to get enough sleep because like say my given day i'll leave at three o'clock I start work at four. I'll be there until usually twelve thirty or one. Now, if I want to get, you know, I get home one one thirty, and if I'm, you know, gonna get eight hours of sleep, that means I'm sleeping until you know nine thirty ten. And that's like if I get to bed by two mm-hmm. o'clock. Yeah, you know, if I get eight mm-hmm. hours of sleep, ten in the morning, and then it's like all right, I got five or six. I have like five hours to go and try and make something of my day, and. You know, if you go out all night, if you go out partying, and then you get home at four in the morning, you don't wake up until the afternoon. You're like, shit, I got two hours until work, and you get into that sort of cycle. So the hours are long, the hours are grueling, and I don't think that's going to change. That's not necessarily the problem. Um, 
but making those hours less stressful and like kind of working on the fact that everyone's just sort of driven to go out and drink and you know try and sort of drown out the work for a little bit it's it's just uh it's definitely not it's not a healthy environment it's not healthy in terms of the sleep perspective i mean i've tried to make better i'll get out of work and it's like all right i'll just go home and i'm actually going to get my sleep because then when you start getting into you know you're, you're behind on your sleep you're tired the job makes you even more tired and you can start to get pretty down on yourself pretty quickly and i think sleep is a it's a big factor i mean and with the weird hours it's interesting because it sort of dictates your whole life like one of my friends from school is currently working the graveyard shift at a bakery from 10 he goes in at 9 30 p.m and he works until six in the morning and so your day is pretty much shot because then you get home you go to sleep you wake up at like dinner time and then you're like all right a couple hours till i have to go back to work it's like no way to actually be a you Person. know to be able to yeah it's like it's like having the struggles just like i it's like i don't think i can do this like i don't have time to interact with the other members of society because i'm just on this like weird schedule and so i think that's a huge component is like this like amount of sleep you get definitely helps with mental health stuff i mean when you're tired it's hard to feel good i mean <laughs> you start it's easy to get frustrated it's easy to get down on stuff when you're well rested you kind of have a higher tolerance for dealing with crap you know yeah now I so from from what you've been saying, I actually find a lot of similarities to what I do playing baseball, and I you know you said the mental health was a huge part of the chef industry, and that, that kind of shocked me at first, and then you started talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, like that's actually has a huge part of it, and you know like somebody might question like that with baseball as well like you know you're playing baseball as your profession how you know how can you be mentally stressed and there's a there's a change when it starts becoming your job then you start you know if you start doing poorly then you start freaking out and then you add sleep deprivation from 12-hour bus rides and then it just all starts adding up. And to me, it sounds very similar to your situation in the chef industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the, the lack of sleep and, you know, if we if you don't get your sleep, you start making mistakes. You don't make, you know, you start making mistakes, you start worrying about your job, you start, you know, being like, oh, am I gonna lose my job? Then you got anxiety, which is only made worse by not sleeping. So it can, it's sort of just a cycle that sort of snowballs and, like, I think, you know, I, I make a big point of getting my sleep because, you know, so many people you hear complaining about so many things are just like, ah, oh, I'm so tired all the time. I wish I could get my sleep. And it's also there aren't enough hours in the day <laughs> to get everything you need done. That's sort of a given of life. But, you know, I think going through it a little more well rested definitely makes me makes me feel much better going through my day. Have you picked up any tips or tricks from the time of dealing with your grief that you've brought into your day-to-day -day life now that helps you just get through the day when you're dealing with those hard hours? Um, I mean, like, I guess more in school and, like, through, like, I don't know, it's sort of like putting yourself in the right mental headspace and being like, 
you know, sometimes things, life just gets to be too much. You've got too much going on. You've got, you know, say you're still in school. Like when I was back in the bachelor's program, I'm like, all right, I've got three papers to write, you know, four exams to take, and I've got to manage this restaurant, and I've got to, you know, do all these other different things I have going on, and sort of being like, all right, this next week's going to kind of suck. I'm not going to get much sleep. I'm going to have to do a lot of things I don't really want to do. But that's sort of life, you know, you accept that, you know, you don't want to do it, but you've got to do it. And you sort of say, all right, between now and, you know, next week on, you know, the, the week from today, it's going to be rough, but I'll get through it. And then, you know, that week you get through it, you do what you need to do. And then by the end of the week, you're like, whew, like that's all over. Like I'm good now. Like, you know, you hit rough patches here and there, times that sort of get to you. But if you kind of accept, like, this has, a, this has a deadline. It's not like this is always going to feel like this forever. It's like, no, this is what's happening right now. Set that aside. Take care of it. And once you get past it, you're like, all right, it's all good again. I'm, I'm relaxed. I got it. You know, I can, I can chill out for a minute. So I think that's um, a kind of technique that I use um, just for when things get stressful, you got anxiety. Life sort of seems like it's all piling on at once. And another thing would be, I guess, um, just like the way that I choose to deal with people and interact with them and sort of like the mindset I have now after going, you know, after losing Daniel and sort of opening my mind to like what, what are people really thinking about, what are they really going through, then doing more reading on the sort of mental health issues and realizing it's it's sort of not just – you know, a small fraction of the population. It's a lot of people that are like having these, you know, struggles and to sort of just try and be more kind in a day to day basis and, you know, be good to people sort of is something I've taken away and it sort of made me want to do more of and just, you know, looking out because, you know, sometimes like the littlest thing, the littlest action can make a huge difference for someone. Have you found that a lot of your friends have been more open with their mental health stories to you as well, knowing that you have a, a history of this now? Um, yeah, to some degree. I definitely think that, a, you know, a good portion of my friends feel comfortable coming to me when they have issues and helping kind of talk them through it and, um, I mean, because it's on some, on some aspects, I do have a different perspective on issues and, and sort of, but, you know, I do, like, you know, one of my friends from school called me the other day, and he'd been running a restaurant, and, um, you know, was saying he was having, you know, mental health issues, and he's like, you know, the reality of their industry is real, you know, it's like, it's, it's totally getting to me, and he'd started, you know, going to therapy, and you know working through it which i thought was really great and you know like i said i was like yeah therapy is really the best thing you can do you know it's not to try and fight this stuff on your own it's it's you know it's do it's possible but it's definitely much harder and clearly in some cases can be really catastrophic in the ending and so i definitely do think people though have felt more comfortable kind of reaching out to me when they you know when they want to talk about something and I appreciate that. I think it's nice that people feel, you know, able to confide in you. Not to say that you've gained any comfort in the subject, but do you feel a a new sense of confidence in asking people and reaching out to see if they are okay, if they're not directly being truthful to you and how they're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty good sense of when I'm talking to someone and I'm, something's off. You know, it's hard for people to really hide those sort of things when they're really bothered by something. 
I can kind of pick up on that. And I do, I do ask, you know, Hey, like, you know, is everything all right? Like, how you doing for real though? Like, you know, it's obviously there's the small chit chat, but then there's the things the person really wants to talk about, which often just need a little bit of prying to get, you know, get them to open up and they often feel much better after talking about it, you know, and getting it sort of off their chest. Well, I'm so glad that you can do that for so many people as you've done so much for me. Um, I love you, buddy. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Good to be on the show. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's it's really nice to hear your story and, and how you've progressed as a person and uh, helping a lot of other people. Well, thank you. appreciate that. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a good good thing you guys got going on here with this organization. I was pretty happy to see that. I, in you know, for Daniel's birthday, we had a fundraiser and raised almost you know forty five hundred dollars for your organization. So that was great to see. It's, Just yeah, more yeah. more proof your mother is a legend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I love thanks, you, guys. buddy. Thank thanks you. so much for talking with us.